0: Happy Friday everybody and welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm your host Vinny Adams. It is good to be here. As always, good to see you guys in the live chat. Um before I bring on my guest, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has watched, um commented, reviewed the phenomenology documentary series that we filmed in Colombia earlier in the year. We've had such an overwhelming amount of support and feedback, so thank you guys so much. Um we have just announced that you can now rent uh the following episodes after the free one for three dollars ninety-nine each, which is you know the price of a coffee. So the links are in the uh description of this video somewhere if you want to go and check out phenomenology and you haven't already. But uh yeah, thank you guys so much. But let's not waste any more time. Um I've wanted to speak to my guest for some time now. She is uh, a UFO researcher, cryptozoology, paranormal. She, she covers everything, but she's not just a researcher. She's also a boots on the ground investigator, which I always uh, have so much respect for people that actually get out uh, and get down and dirty in the field. So guys, um, put your hands together for my guest, Brit Barbieri. Brit, how are you?
1: I'm good Vinny thank you for the uh, wonderful introduction
0: (laughs) hey my pleasure did I pronounce your surname okay
1: Barbieri yeah yeah
0: cool I was panicking on that for a while today (laughs) so I'm I'm glad I got it I'm doing good thank you so much Um, I'm just gonna switch my screen get you up there and we will shoot with the first question I would just love to know about what got you into these you know fringe I guess they're fringe subjects, UFOs, Bigfoot. Where did it all start for you?
1: Um, it started, well, I apologize really quick for my voice. <laughs> Coming back from Roswell, It's it's gone. Um, it started when I was really young. You know, I grew up in Estes Park, Colorado, but my family, I was born in Tucson, Arizona. So very much an out West girl, horseback riding, so forth, um, growing up in the woods. And um, when I was really little, my, my parents used to talk about lights they used to see in the sky that would do erratic patterns and then disappear as I was a little girl you're kind of like that's amazing you know and <laughs> my dad and i would sit on the front porch and look up at the sky um and he would talk to me about planets and life and civilizations that could possibly be another planet so from we're talking like three four five i remember these um and then also growing up in the in the mountains we had several experiences and hunters that talked about you know sasquatch and there was an incident we had a lot of exotic animals on our farm and my dad was out of town with business and my mom and I were feeding the animals and there were seven of us, but I was the youngest. So a lot of my older brothers and sisters had already moved out. So I was helping my mom. And something made the most horrific sound from directly across from us. And we're on the mountain, we're in the Rockies. And so your neighbor is several miles from you in a sense, um, or several acreage, excuse me, from you. And uh, we just, I dropped the grain bucket, ran in the house, left my mom outside in the barn, freaking out. You know, I was like eight years old and I come back out. I'm like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> sorry Bigfoot big got you um, but you know we grew up hearing the sounds of bobcat and mountain lion and bear So and deers being killed you know that sounds like a woman being murdered so these sounds were very familiar to me growing up but this was not that and then when I shared it with my older brother he then was like okay I'm going to tell you about something that happened to dad and I and you know John and Josh and, I and my other brothers when they were hiking behind the house and something observed them watched them made noises and then chased them and so you know all this started happening. And so as a young kid, I wanted to know more. And then my parents introduced me to Jayon Hynek and Project Book, and, you know, Close Encounters. And so from that point in my life, you know, the first time I ever saw a ghost, I was four. It was a Native American in the basement of my house in Colorado. And it all like spiraled out of control for me. And it was kind of like destiny was like pushing me in that direction. So I couldn't just be in one field. Like there was so much to the paranormal that I was like, I can't just do one thing. I've got to do it all. So I started very young. And I think I'm the only person alive today that still has library cards <laughs> 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 because I enjoy going and reading books at the whole library. But yeah, so that's how it that all kind of spiraled, spiraled for me to go and do these things. And I was very encouraged by my family to be the change and be the difference and stand out. So that's what I did
0: that's amazing and it's so good to have a supportive family behind you you know and that was one going to be one of my questions how do your family feel about it cuz some people experience a lot of stigma directly just from their family members and friends like you know why yeah. are they looking into this weird stuff so it sounds like that you you kind of don't get that which is which is pretty cool so uh, yeah that's awesome so do you have like a yeah. favorite area area of study that that really sort of stands above the rest or does it change depending
1: no i mean like you know, for the longest time I did paranormal investigating for, for ghosts and, you know, you do it for so long, but my favorite that, and no offense, but my favorite that I always came back to was, uh, ufology and cryptozoology. And because for me growing up with animals and was an animal trainer, handler, I worked a lot with different people. My brother owns a facility and, you know, being in that world and training exotic animals, I learned a lot about the science behind how animals don't really go extinct, even though they're no longer on the record. We just lose them. We mistrack them. And then that's why they get rediscovered. And so cryptozoology kind of became a real a real good topic for me because I wanted to try and discover animals that were said to be extinct. You know, And then the more I dug into it, there was so much aligned with it, with real zoology, that it didn't make sense why it wasn't being taught you know, we're not saying these are monsters. We're saying these are actual animals that do exist. And so it was, it just always blew my mind that, you know, Bigfoot was this ridiculous monster when through history, he's nothing more than a primate that lived and kind of reside next to the Native American tribes of America and, and other countries. So I just didn't understand why it was this crazy monstrous beast and it wasn't looked at as like a actual primate. So that was one of my favorites, but then ufology really it's, you know, who can't talk about 1947 without getting a, a big fire in their soul to just go and take down the world? <laughs> so Absolutely. Those two are my, uh, you know, I will go on investigation if someone asked me to go and do paranormal investigating anytime. And paranormal is a big spectrum. But when you talk about like ghost investigating or hauntings and things like that, I will go. But they're not my favorite. My favorite is cryptid and, and ufology, hands down by far.
0: Excellent. Let's just stick with Bigfoot for a minute. And you mentioned about it being, you know, like a proper primate and not a monster. Do you think the Gigantopithecus is the same thing as Bigfoot?
1: I do. I actually do. I do firmly believe that wholeheartedly. I think that that is a I think it gets overlooked a lot, mostly through media and television, um, because I've had this discussion with Professor Jeff Meldrum on many, many times about you know the the land bridges that people seem to forget about, and the ice bridges that people think is not possible. But it wasn't like ice bridges. If you actually go and look at the maps, it wasn't like what we think it looked like. Um, and so yeah, I firmly believe that you know they they that's where it came from. And of course that's orangutan. So we know we have the line of orangutan that came from the Gigantopithecus. So. I, I don't see why it's so crazy to think that there's still out there, you know, maybe the numbers are smaller, but yeah, I do think there's a huge connection there. Absolutely.
0: You get a lot of naysayers and skeptics when in, well, in all fields, but I think in, what I've come across in the, the little bit of the big foot field that I've, you know, watched and looked into that. The first thing people say is, well, how come we've never really you know seen one with definitive video evidence and how do they remain hidden so well? How do you kind of deal with questions like that?
1: I okay, so (laughs) I get that a lot too. Vinny, actually, I hear that quite a bit. Um, I always like to describe it as so let's imagine you're in your home and there's a burglar coming in. You know your house better than anybody, including this burglar, and you're going to know the best hiding spot not to be seen. So that burglar might see you in a shadow very quickly, but you're going to know where to hide your family to protect them. And so that burglar does not, and the woods are so dense. And you can be walking and growing up in the Rockies, you can be walking and walk right up on a grizzly and not know it, not know it at all. Um, and so for me, it's when it comes to proof of evidence of, of videos, I think there are true videos that are getting kind of washed in with a lot of fakes and a lot of hoaxes. So people, our natural mind immediately goes, oh, that's a fake too, because it's too good. The problem is, is those two good ones, I think are true, authentic videos and they're being labeled as fakes. And unfortunately, the general public, when this happens, they don't have anyone to turn to um, to say, look, at this, this is what I saw, because immediately it's, oh, you faked it, or, oh, you're just crazy. You're one of those crazy people that saw something, and they didn't. It's real. Um, and the woods, you know, if, if you've grown up in them or you've hunted in them or you know them really well, you grow to know that the woods are are a massive disguise, and it's a huge camouflage pit. So it doesn't matter what size you are, even when a grizzly bear stands up, it will go completely invisible to the naked eye if you don't know the woods. And and I, I have my own theories. I do think Sasquatch are able to climb. And I think they can hide in trees very well above you. As well as I do believe that because of the primate that they are, they are able to go on knuckles. And if you've ever watched a gorilla or a orang run, on all fours and take off. There's no trace of footprints. There's no trace of dirt. There's minor scuffs. And in the woods, you're not looking for scuffs. You're looking for tracks. And that can be extremely overlooked. And you can gain so much speed so quickly if you know the area, if you're on all fours taken off In in as far as an ape goes. you know. So that's something that I think heavily needs to always be considered when they go with oh, the tracks have just disappeared. Well, you certainly didn't Consider the fact that they could take off running, and two, you, maybe you haven't looked up. You know, and bears hide above us all the time. My God, can't tell you how many times in Colorado you would look up and you're like, "Oh, there's a bear in the tree!" <laughs> oh my God, he's like right above us. <laughs> we didn't even hear you. <laughs> so these are things to consider. You know, so that, you know that's that's a big problem of mine. Is a lot of times when they do these series or uh, media and things like that, when they they have these discussions, it's because a lot of the people they're putting out in the middle of the woods have never been in the woods before. So they don't really know what exactly to look for or feel very comfortable in the woods so everything is kind of scary to them yeah no
0: thank you for that um let's talk about Mm -hmm. other cryptids do you have any others that like really i I guess again are, are your favorites to to research to watch videos on and like because i mean it's quite a broad spectrum of you know different creatures let's say
1: in the in the cryptid space there are i would say hundreds Of possible other cryptids out there, um, because most countries have kind of their own version of Bigfoot. Um, You have different fairies, which is considered a cryptid, which always fascinated me because I considered that more folklore. Um, But as far as cryptid goes, I've always leaned to, uh, now again, the chupacabra, I believe, is a canine. I think that's just a type of dog, which again was basically discovered in texas yet for some reason science is saying "Eh, it's nothing it's nothing it's nothing. but there is a crazy looking canine dog in texas and through mexico that looks like it has mange but the underbite and the way it has these weird um bone nodules on the back of its hindquarters that's quite compelling to me to go what kind of canine is this you know um and then you know of course in in the cryptid space there's also loch ness which is Always fascinated me because I've always believed that dinosaurs, to a certain extent, I want to watch how I say that, people don't think I'm crazy, (laughs) do still exist today. Um, And the reason I like to combat that is because knowing crocodilian species and alligator species, they have not changed much since the time of the dinosaurs. They are like a living dinosaur today. And so I look at a lot of animals that have not really changed much from that time that are still alive today. That it does make me wonder about the successes of some of these other animals, especially ocean bound, because the ocean in truth has only been five percent discovered. So, you know, I have theories and Megalodon, of course, is another one um, that as a scuba diver, I I, and I've seen plenty of photos and sharks and people sending me uh, photos saying, you know, we we took this picture and I, I can't explain it. And it's, you know, a great white with a ginormous chunk out of it. And it's not like an orchid did this. It, you know, orca wouldn't have done this. It, this is another shark bite. You can tell by the way the teeth are. And it leaves me to believe that there's a possibility of a lineage of megalodons still around. But I believe with the water temperatures changing and fluctuating, as we've seen with the whales, they have to go where the food sources are and how they need to survive. And there are some really deep parts of the ocean that we can't get to. And I just... I just don't think we should rule it out, you know, and I'm fine jumping in. It doesn't scare me. If I see one, I'm just going to be so thrilled. Like (laughs) it doesn't scare me at all because, you know, it is what it is. But I just like to believe that some of these things still exist and I just don't want to close the door on them yet. We can't say definitively that they don't.
0: No, that's completely fair enough. You know, leave things on the table until they can be proven conclusively to, to not exactly. exist or, or to exist. So yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I like the idea of dinosaurs still living. I was a, fascinated yeah. by them as a kid, although I do get a slight Jurassic Park vibes about it, but.
1: You know. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't love Jurassic Park as a kid though? I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's yeah. move on and let's, let's get to UFOs because they're, you know, that's, that's why we're here really, I suppose. And, and I'd start by talking about your podcast because Not only do you host a podcast that covers all subjects, but you host it alongside Don Schmidt of Roswell fame. So how on earth did that come about? How did you meet Don? It's fascinating.
1: (laughs) So um, I've been in the industry since I was a little girl. Um, And so I ended up working on a project. It was a little over five years ago now. And I've always idolized, of course, Jay Allen Hynek. You know, of course, growing up, that was like, oh, my gosh. And when I found out about Kufos and then finding out about Mark Chesney and Donald Schmidt, I mean, these are two, like Tom Carey, you know, these are gentlemen that were like kicking down doors and taking names, you know, after after Blue Book closed. And so when that happened, um, I always just kind of bought up all of his books and and was like, I've got to follow this guy. He's just incredible as far as Roswell goes. And then I was on a project that they needed a specialist in Roswell. And it opened the door for me to reach out to him as, you know, of course, as a professional in the business, but also to actually get down to the business on Roswell. And I reached out to him and I sent my first email and I thought, oh my God, please respond back. This is going to be amazing. And he responds and he was so nice. And then we set up our first Zoom call. But on that call, after I got the questions I needed for his submission, I ended up talking to him for like another hour after that. And we were having this lengthy conversation and he was like, I'm so impressed that somebody at your age, which, you know, I'm young, but I'm not that young. you know, know so much about Roswell and Hynek and so forth. And he was really taken back by that. And we ended up creating this incredible friendship to where it turned into family, like my son calls him Uncle Don because he became family, you know? And then it became a mentoring. I wanted to be a ufologist. There were courses online that they called it certified as you as you state. but, you would just be certified to say, hey, you know your business. You did the time. You did the hours. And you know the you know from not just the 47, but prior the history of it all. And he helped me through it. You know, I would send him everything. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm waiting for my test results for my teacher to come back. You know, and <laughs> he was right alongside me the whole time. And we've been trying to create shows together. In fact, the time that UFO Witness was being pitched, I was pitching a concept for Don and I to bring back Blue Book. Um, as like a new actual team investigative team as the new blue book. And we got into a pitching war in a sense in regards to, you know, oh, well, they already have, you know, this other pitch on the table and what else can you offer? And Tom and I are like, well, we can offer this and everything, you know, but then they went ahead and purchased it. Um, and then I got a call, of course, my friend Ben Hansen was like, Hey, I, you know, they're going to be a host on the show. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: want to hear about it. Um, But yeah, and so that, you know, that's kind of how that all unfolded. And we continue to push forward. And then we were talking, we're like, why don't we just do our own podcast and bring on the specialists that we really want to talk to, but really bring the truth out where they can't control us. And we figured out a way to do that. And that was through No Earthly Explanation. Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome. I've listened to a few episodes, and it's fantastic. So guys, uh, Britt's tree is in, in the description. Go and check out all her stuff, but go and listen to the podcast. It's it's amazing. Um, so that's just, with Roswell, does it frustrate you when you see the multiple government excuses as to what they claim it, it was?
1: Hands down. It fires me up to no end. Because honestly, at the end of the day, do you threaten 50-plus people's lives over a weather balloon? No, no, it doesn't happen like that. And it, it to me, it fascinates me that... There's so many people that are like, oh, well, the government will tell us. They're they're gonna tell us, and it's like, no, they're not. I don't want you to hold your breath. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. They don't. In a sense, they just kind of want 47 to go away because it was their biggest flubub that they've ever made when something like this happened, and they just really want everyone to forget about it. But we can't, and we're not going to. So yeah, I get really frustrated because even to this day, they still try and poo poo it away, you know. And I I just get so. I'm like, no, that's the smoking gun. That's where it all started. That's where it came to the point to we know you'll do anything to cover up the truth. Even to the point of threatening children's lives that you'll kill their entire families if they say anything about seeing anything or hearing anything. And it's horrible. People's lives were ruined because of it. And it's, what harm is it to tell people, yeah, something amazing happened and crashed. And I get 47 that was a different time frame mentally for people to kind of accept that we saw what happened with War of the Worlds. I I get it. I totally understand. Um, but we're not anymore. The last twenty years, we're not anymore. And and I think that it's too late now for them to come out and say, yeah, we lied to you. And then what's the public going to say? Well, what else are you lying to us about? Because that's one of the biggest things that you've lied to. It. So they really can't tell us the truth, which just sucks. It just sucks
0: yeah i mean there's a lot going on at the moment isn't there with with government and these different amendments and national defense authorization acts and stuff so i do feel like there's yep. there's some people within the government who probably maybe on the younger side of of the government who who now have a bit of control or or, or want to see this come out Um, I, I kind of you know it's difficult for me the way i look at it is you know they're still going to get blocked left right and center if you know when they 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 go into certain areas what do you think about that do you think that do you think it's worth it do you think we should continue pushing or should we you know look elsewhere and if we look elsewhere where should we look for disclosure to come from
1: that's a big pill (laughs) um (laughs) i mean i don't think we should stop pushing at all because there are other cases that took place after 47 that's just kind of the mecca that we all lean to to show that they are willing to cover things up if need be. Um, And they did. But there were other cases. That's why Blue Book came about. And 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 even it baffled me, and it really set me back, that the two gentlemen they picked for the congressional hearing here in the U.S., when asked multiple questions in regards to several very prominent cases, they knew nothing of it because for some reason, they're only being allowed to investigate to 2004, and that's it. And how are you to investigate UFOs, not UAPs, UFOs, if you don't know the true history that has unfolded? And it fascinated me that when asked if there was any other investigative team prior to Blue Book, they said no, which is false. There was grudge and sign that came directly as soon as the Roswell crash happened. And then Area 51 opened up. So for them not to have known something was crazy to me, but then I thought, or do they know and they're trying to play dumb because that's what they were told to do. So it's frustrating because you could tell Gallagher was trying to nail that hammer in there to get those points. well you should know this, you know we had nine missiles go no- go in a matter of seconds because of a UFO that went over a base. So and that's a huge, huge issue. And there's multiple cases of that. James Clark actually investigated several other claims from here to the UK of the same type of identical occurrences. And the fact that they had no idea, there's two things there. Either they really didn't know or they're supposed to act like they don't know because they don't want the public to know about this stuff, that it's real. And it ticked me off that the video they choose to show, they didn't properly (laughs) set it up. They give us this little dinky flyby that it could have been a bug flying by the window. And we know with un, without certainty, they have better footage. So it it just made me so mad more. And it actually fired me up more to say, no, this isn't it. We need to keep pushing. This, this is not going to satisfy us as much as they want us to. We're not going to be satisfied with this. So we're going to keep pushing. Because when Blue Book closed officially in January of 1970, Heineck said there's 701 cases I could not explain away. And I know for certainly, certainly that there is proof to this. You know, the the actual case that changed him was the Lonnie Zamora case. That that made him go, hold on a minute, because that the same identical craft appeared 100 miles the next night. And Heineck witnessed that. So he put all those pieces together. He realized that there was something else going on. You can't cover this up But NASA. NASA already sent me letters saying we were not there. It has nothing to do with us. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was in the intel to get that intel, if they really were. So it changed him. And that was it for him. And that's where CUFO started. And I think that there needs to be, today, a brand new type of investigative center like that that is truly doing the work because the government is not going to assist us. And they're certainly not going to be like, oh, hey, guys, last night we had incredible crafts flying over the, you know, U.S. Capitol. No, it's not going to happen. They're not going to do it. So we have to push harder. And I don't think we should look elsewhere. If we look elsewhere, we should just be pulling that intel, like from Brazil and from Mexico and from all these other places that are now disclosing the information in Italy to their people. Then that's where we need to gather that information and say, how come you're not the only country or you're the only country, excuse me, not giving this information to their, to their general public when other countries are, where, where are we in this?
0: yeah absolutely I think there needs to be more collaboration as well with other countries at least openly because they may well be talking behind the scenes we don't necessarily know that but yeah I agree that we should definitely keep pushing Um, now let's switch it up a little bit because I did want to talk about the appearance you made on Unidentified last year Unidentified with Demi Lovato now when that first first got announced it did throw Mm -hmm. a little bit of controversy into the the community you know like this is just Hollywood getting involved, what do they know about UFOs? Um, the way I looked at it is, well, it's going to hit a whole new audience, a massive new audience. So surely mm-hmm. that is a good thing to have more people aware of the subject. So I'd like your views on that, but also how it came about for you and and how it was.
1: Um, I was – they wanted an expert. Demi had never um, – her friend Matthew and her sister Dallas had never really – dove too deep into it. And apparently she had had a personal account. Um, and she just truly wanted to dive deeper into this world, but she didn't want to do any research for herself. She wanted experts to tell her what was going on, which I thought was fascinating because that kind of takes away some of the, uh, the color change and tainting and in, in the bigger picture. So it allows you to have different, you know, perspectives from different experts. And I was reached out um, again because of working in the industry. They asked me and they knew my field work with Dawn and they knew and they said, you know, being that, you you know, you work with Ben Hansen and you guys know these fields of topic and and I think that Demi would really get along with you. Would you be interested in coming on as an expert as the ufologist in the field of Catalina? And we know you also have extensive research that you've done um, on Catalina. And because I lived in California in 2008 on the entertainment side all of my friends, we were in stunts and, and shows, and they were all doing stunts for television and movies, and they would all go over and get scuba side, scuba dive trained and certified at Catalina. So whenever I'd go over there, I would be snooping around the museum and talking to people and wanting to know more. And of course, Preston Dennett's book really inspired me, so I had to do my own digging after that. And of course, the history of giants and so on. It was like the little mysterious island I had to know. And so I did do extensive research, and so they really wanted me to come on and talk to her about all these crazy mysteries. Um, And so when I got the chance to come on, I had the same thing. You know, people were like, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. You know, you're going to ruin your name. And I was like, why? She wants to know the truth. Everybody wants to know the truth. It's not Hollywood doing anything. This was, Mm. she wanted to do a show. She got the show sold and she wanted experts to teach her what she needs to do for real if she wants to go and do these things by herself. And I found that fantastic. I didn't see anything wrong with that. And I ended up having a fantastic time with her. She was hilarious. Her sister was a doll. I, I still talk to Dallas time to time. And I stay in touch with her because they're they were really just down to earth, nice, you know, people, regardless of what they have personally going on. They're good, they were good people to me when I was there. And I appreciated that. And they really wanted to know the truth. They didn't want any sugar coating, you know. And she, you know, Demi threw out at me, you know, is it possible that when people have seen mermaids over the years, could those have been misidentified extraterrestrials, you know, because of the USO activity? I was like, well, yeah, sure. Anything could be misidentified. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's not possible because sure, we don't know the ocean. So sure, you know, and I think that you have to remain an open mind. And yeah, I, I, you know, I, I heard a little bit about it after doing the show, but honestly, it was probably one of the best shows that I I got the opportunity to work on. You know, it was so laid back and fun and they just really wanted us to do real experiments, which we did. We did a crazy, uh, incredible night watch with lasers to attract not above as we normally would in a normal night watch. We were attracting whatever we could in the ocean, which is something that has not been done. And it was wonderful. I enjoyed it. I loved it
0: excellent yeah no i think you're right you know it's it's a positive thing when somebody wants to learn whether it's someone lives down the road from you or or a celebrity what's the difference really so yeah i'm with you on that one but let's stick with catalina because you actually are going to appear i think this i don't know if it's this week or soon in a new episode of ufo witness with ben hansen and you're actually investigating catalina so can you tell us about that show tell us about the investigation and then can we talk about the bigger picture of Catalina Islanders, you know, had this USO mystery surrounding it for decades now?
1: Yeah. So, um, the episode actually already aired for UFO witness, uh, on Tuesday. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So it's streaming now on discovery plus, um, or you can go and see it on travel channel airs Tuesdays at 10 PM. Um, so I was called in for that because Ben and I, like I said, we go, we go way back and, and I investigate all UFO hotspots, areas of interest, Sightings, whatever, so be it. Um, and I try and pinpoint a lot of the capitals. And um, Ben and I, of course, work together in this department, and we have calls all the time and talk about these things. Um, and so he wanted me on because Catalina, of course, is a hub for me as regards to a lot of U.S.O. activity and UFO activity, and of course, some of the abduction cases are quite phenomenal that come out of the uh, around Catalina and the in the Channel Islands, and as well as off Malibu and so forth. And yeah. um. So when I was invited on, they just really wanted Ben and I to sit down and talk about what we have already been working on, you know, behind closed doors for years. Um, but then also talk about why Catalina and why this could be so prominent. And normally I scuba dive um, in the shows and and do that normally. Um, but on this one, they wanted it just to be Ben and me being topside with Melissa, which was wonderful. I loved it at a great time. And, um, you know you'll see in the episode, we discover something quite fascinating on the backside of the island, which again, if you go back in time to the original Henson video that came out in 1966 of the first really good, strong footage from Catalina, and you see the object, and it was filmed from a helicopter going over the top and then disappearing. I always believed, you know, people had kind of come up with uh, conspiracy theories and the fact that, oh, it went into the mountainside. But there really isn't a mountainside in Catalina. <laughs> like you have a you have a good high rise, but you would notice if something went inside of an invisible door, you know, in, in the mountains. And this didn't. And I, after 1966 and a little bit before, but after that, a lot of fishermen came forward talking about sightings of lights coming up to the top of their boats. And we're not talking about the regular sea lights that we get. This was an actual physical, uh, you know, object that came up. And create a lot of, there was, of course, the other incident where the plane was taken down and the one gentleman lost his family member. And, of course, we have all these incidences that are surrounded by this island. And it's always really funny to me because it's spooky. Catalina, you can't see it from the coast. And as you get close to it, there's this ridiculous fog that always surrounds this island. And as soon as you break through that fog, it's this beautiful little, you know, mystery island in the middle of nowhere. And it looks like in the middle of nowhere. And I always think to myself, what a great way to disguise yourself! You've got this beautiful cloud. Not a lot of population on this island. You could have inhabited it years ago. Nobody would have even known, you know. And and so when this in in this particular video of the 1966, I got sidetracked. It goes behind the mountain and disappears. So my research, and I, I believe Ben firmly agrees with me on this as well, is that the belief is that it actually went and submerged itself behind the island. Because Catalina has their own Bermuda Triangle directly behind the island where in the episode you will see – and it was something that I was like, listen, you know, magnetics is a huge key factor when we're dealing with UFOs and, and so forth and USOs. And it went 45 degrees and it stuck. That's stronger than lightning to pull a magnetic pull to that extent on your compass. 45 degrees pull. When they were diving over where we believe is like kind of like the the main Mecca of the Bermuda Triangle of Catalina. And for me, that was it. I will go back tomorrow if somebody calls me up to investigate because I firmly believe there is something going on. And you'll see too in a lot of the records we pulled, we have magnetic anomalies that are showing so bright red directly behind the island that it, it doesn't make any sense. These things shouldn't be there, but it would home. And help if you're in a USO type of, you know, unidentified submergible object, for those that don't know, to help kind of hide you because it messes with your compasses, messes with your gauges. You'll never, if you, everything got turned off, you would be lost. You Nothing would tell you where to be compass wise. So, yeah, I mean, Catalina itself is crazy. So that's what we get to do. And we get to investigate it even further this time than I got to in uh, unidentified. And my God, I'm ready to go back tomorrow. Freaking love that island, I do. It's crazy. The, that place is oh my god, don't get me started! Don't <laughs> get me. <laughs> it's incredible.
0: So, what I, I mean, it, it's not that far away. That the obviously the Nimitz encounters was kind of in the channels off of the west coast. So, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people or some people talk about the tic tac. Well, it's got to be just some kind of man made technology, some kind of test. Yet with such close relations to Catalina and the older stories, I personally don't see that connection. You know, obviously it's possible, but but what about you? What are your thoughts on the tic-tac? If you had to speculate if it was ours or something a lot more anomalous,
1: where would you be sort of pointing? I I honestly don't think that it's any kind of our, I don't think we are capable of creating anything like a tic-tac. The thing has no wings. It has no real uh, engine. I mean, this thing is like a cylinder. And if you go back in history, Tic Tacs have been in history as far as sightings go for a very long time. You know, we're talking egg shape, Tic Tacs, cigar. It's this Tic Tac and cigar are almost exactly the same in any kind of testimony when described. And so for me, for anybody to say to me directly in my personal opinion that it's possible that our government's made that, I no, I don't. I, I don't think that's earthbound at all. And I do believe that that is a good version of a USO, of what it looks like. Because again, if you look at the 66 video, it is very similar. It is in the same shape, the way it moves. And I, I, yeah, no, there's no way. And and in Catalina, and then of course, in the videos that we've gotten from Navy, that channel is so high active with, with sightings. It's unreal. It, and they're not just... And some of them, of course, have come forward in, in an unknown, you know, you don't know me. This is me saying what I saw. And it's, it's always in that channel. I can't explain it. It's always off the West Coast channel. And it's fascinating to me. And if you look at the, you know, the actual, basically any type of graph of the floor, and you pull up all the different anomalies that are happening, there's too much going on. And I don't believe that it's our technology. At all. And I think that's what scares a lot of the government because it's what is this and where is it coming from?
0: Yeah, I agree. And if we're talking about it being potentially a non human intelligence, you know, we hear nowadays so many different possibilities as to what they are extraterrestrial, interdimensional, ultra terrestrial, crypto terrestrial. And I find myself flipping like one week, I might see a case or, or do some research and it points in one direction and that may flip the week the week later but do you if you were to speculate where do you think these things are coming from or what they represent
1: okay so i if someone was to ask me directly i i truly think that it's possible why we see so many ufos now is one because everybody has a phone in their, you know, with a camera in their phone. So we're able to document it. But I, I've, I've been on this fence really since I started the USO um, investigations and, and going to certain locations with so much uptick in activity. I kind of feel as though that treaty that was spoke about between, um, I believe it was Eisenhower. I do believe firmly that they, it's possible that this species of whatever type of extra, extraterrestrial life it is, and I, I don't want to put a finger on what, what species it is because there's so many different types out there apparently, um, but I do believe that that treaty could be accurate. And why I say that is because if they're really here mining and they're really here just taking resources from our planet to help their planet survive or where they're from you know, continue to move forward and they're giving us intel help for, to help us succeed, I would believe that they had already pre-set up spots underground in our ocean, and they are able to move in and out between the mesas and the mountains and the areas, and we see them so frequently, Um, and then, of course, going under to their underground bases. And the reason why I'm so lenient towards these underground bases, and again, I don't know what type of species they are, and it's really hard to say because everybody throws out everything from mantis to greys to, you know, all these different... Nordics. I mean, I could list a whole name and it's like, oh my God, there's that many. <laughs> um, but you sit there and you go, okay, it makes sense because there are some abduction cases where people were not harmed. They were mm-hmm. not physically harmed. You know, Lori had one that happened to her. She, she was a scuba diver off the back of Catalina. And... The thing I always draw back to on this one was the fact that these beings came up to her under the water while she was scuba diving. She was older. She had done this for her by herself forever and they were dressed in a metallic type suit and they had much like a kind of a dome like an astronaut and they had spoke to her telepathically and told her that they had been observing her and watching her and that she'd been getting so much better at scuba diving and then she had missing time and it wasn't until and she woke up on the boat after seeing these beings. And then, you know, Yvonne put her under um, to let her kind of regress and and talk about that incident. But it it wasn't horrible. They showed her kind of where they're from and what they do, and then they put her back. And it was an observing thing. And what I found fascinating was that in Russia, in the rushing minings, they had a similar account. And this was many years apart. I mean, many years apart. There's no way that these two stories would have ever collided or conversated. But the beings looked identical. And they're underwater in the same types of suits and observing and seeing what we're doing. Not harming us, just observing. And I think a lot of times when we see the UFOs, they're observing. They're observing mm-hmm. our military. Are we staying true to the the treaty if that's real? If that really took place, are, they, are we keeping our end of the bargain as they're keeping theirs? And so a lot of times I, I lean with Don. Even Don and I have had this conversation that it's possible they've already been here prior to our continuous, you know, kind of growth on this place. And now they're kind of helping us and and not helping us in the same. And I don't think all of them are vicious and vindictive and painful and hurtful and hurting people. And I just think a lot of times they, they're they already here and they have bases set up and we just need to keep our end of the bargain and they'll keep theirs kind of deal, you know, just as much as if we're, if it's a military tactic, that's what you agree to when you join hands with another country. We have our agreement. This is our agreement, and as long as we stay there, we won't fight each other. And I kind of feel that's how this is set in motion and set in place. And we found out they've already been here, and now we've set this, you know, train in motion. And now people have phones with cameras, and now they can kind of be a little bit more exposed. <laughs> but as long as we keep our end of the bargain up, no, no harm, no harm to your country. <laughs> like, that's how I take it.
0: No, that's cool. I appreciate that because I know so many different people and I have this conversation regularly and there are so many different uh, versions and opinions and, and, you know, there's a lot of disagreements. But as long as it's done respectfully, then I'm all up for that kind of conversation. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, So I know I've hit you with a few big questions. I'm going to hit you with another one. And that is we often hear a lot of people say, I want the truth. I want to know I am ready for disclosure. Uh, but some people look maybe that if you look around the world, at the way that we kind of handle ourselves as a species, we may not be ready. So what do you think? Do you think we could handle disclosure as a, as a, you know, a global race? Um, it's a tough one, but yeah, I'd like to know your thoughts on that.
1: I am a firm believer that the majority is ready. And I say that because. I, I, I read a lot of what comments that people say, you know, they know that it's not these little green men and it's not this, you know, horror story all the time. They're not going to come blow us up and rip our limbs off and stuff that the media likes to push. And <laughs> it's something that recently hit me that I, I think is a question to ask if you take away the stigma, okay. Take away the stigma of knowing grays and Nordic and all these different aliens and beings and whatever. And let's just take away the history for a second. And somebody said to you, Vinny, guess what? They discovered life, human life, other beings on another planet. And they're awesome. (laughs) Like, immediately, you wouldn't be fearful. Immediately, you're you're like, it's almost like you're stunned. You're like, what? Really? That's amazing. So... It's the way it's been painted over the years from like the 40s to about the 70s where a lot of the coining of little green men came about, of course, from the Kentucky case. And so when you have these stigmas, it makes people fearful of what they don't understand. But if you paint it in a way that they can understand, which is kind of happening a little bit more now, and that's why I think more of the general public really are ready for the truth. People aren't going to question God. They're not going to go run out and kill themselves because they understand that, wait a minute, if there's life on other other planets, there's hope for us then. Maybe we can then go and be with them and live on a planet with them like Elon Musk is trying to do. You know I mean? Elon could be an alien. I'm just saying. (laughs) I love that guy. Um, But You know, for me, I look at it more like hope, you know, and I think we put our, we put our natural mind and the way that we would handle a situation. And we know that the human race can be very evil and can be very mean sometimes. It can be brutal. It can be rude and it can do harm to others when it doesn't need to. And so I think we immediately assume that if we found another race of any type of being, that they're going to do the same thing we do. But in reality, I, I don't think that, you know, we don't, we can't speak for them. We don't know because we don't really even know if there is a them yet. And just based off of the research, we have to go by what we're learning. And there's a lot of accounts and stories in there that we don't need to be fearful of. If they were going to come and blow us up, they would have already done it. If they were going to come and do Independence Day on it, they would have already done it. There's, they're not waiting for a, you know, a certain date and time, you know, I mean, So for me, I do believe the majority that are asking for it, that are wanting that drink are truly ready for it because they're thirsty for it because they've done their research. They know the truth. And they're like, please stop treating the general public like idiots. We see it for ourselves. Just tell us the truth. And then don't paint it so horror movie-esque. Just tell them the truth. (laughs) Just let the public know we're not alone. And it's awesome. It's not a bad thing.
0: That's cool. I like the optimism as well. I, I I always try and remain optimistic, and the way I look at it is, if if yeah. we get disclosure and the right, there is going to be some, I don't know, pushback. There's, there may be financial crashes and that, but we're quite a resilient race as well. At the same time, look at how we've you know acted over the past few years. We bounced back, and you know, again, I think I prefer to look at it optimistically than pessimistically. So, yeah. I appreciate that.
1: So before
0: we finish, thank you. (laughs) Um, But before we finish off, I'd like to know what's next for you. What's next for Brit?
1: Oh my gosh. I don't know. Honestly, um, after coming back from Roswell, you know, I'll, I'll share with you guys for a moment, uh, being a part of the panel with Kufos and with Donald and uh, Donald Schmidt and, and Mark Chesney and spending, um, you know, such a great time with them and Paul Davids and James Clark was there. And and so many, Tom Carey, um, Thomas Reed was there, of course, Ben Hansen, Melissa, all these wonderful people um, who were there. Uh, Louis Elizondo was there as well. It was quite a quite a turnout, but the Roswell panel changed my life for a a multitude of reasons. When you're sitting there and you're listening to these gentlemen who have spent, I'm going to say 40, 50 plus years. Some of them were much older. Dennis is 80 now. And so you're looking at these gentlemen who have seen it all, have heard it all, were, were a part of deathbed confessions. And you can't help but sit there and go, what happens when they're gone? When these fighters who have fought the fight and have come toe to toe with government officials, in escalades and gun pointing and everything. And I'm not joking, that is like real stuff that has happened to these men. What happens to the legacy that they have set forth for us and for our children if it doesn't carry on? And then to have two sons from officials that were part of the incident in Roswell who came to speak on behalf of their dads who are no longer with us, but who were there to say, Thank you. To these gentlemen for fighting the fight, to getting the truth out for their dads that were afraid to come forward because they didn't want anything to happen to us. And they didn't tell us until they were dying because you can't kill a dead man. And it really bugged me because there's nobody truly interested or caring to f- carry on that fight, that torch of J. Allen Hynek, you know, even. And I just feel that in my gut, that's going to be my next step. I need to push forward. Because if you're waiting for the government to tell you the truth, it ain't going to happen. You have to go after the truth yourself. And that's boots on the ground, meeting the people that are afraid to talk and allowing them to feel safe with you and telling their story and know that there is no judgment. We all want the truth, no matter where that leads us. And I just feel in my heart how much I love these men and these women who have done this and fearful and they told their story anyway in books and in writing and in deathbed confessions. It is up to us, the next generation, to carry that torch. And as being, um, you know, an apprentice to Don and he is my mentor and he is my family, I feel it in my gut that that's my next my next journey is to either create the brand new blue book that isn't attached to the government and actually go after this for the truth and continue that legacy so when they're gone that flame is still burning for Roswell and we will do whatever it takes to keep it alive. And I will add Vinny, and you'll get a kick out of this. And I know I hate the term UAP. (laughs) I don't know how you feel about it. And I don't care what anybody says. I hate the term UAP. And you know why? Because it stands for unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now aerial phenomenon is anything that takes place in our atmosphere And I've studied the atmosphere because being a ufologist, you need to know different elements of atmosphere that could create a false image of a UFO, okay? Even a a major mirage, as they call it, or a super mirage in the sky. Okay, fair enough. But an object, unidentified flying object, is something that is flying around up there that is a physical, tangible object, not an aerial phenomenon. So I hate that the UFOs are being lumped in and being called UAPs because it is not the same thing at all. And if anybody is paying attention and they listen to the congressional hearing, they flat out said in the congressional hearing, and I quote, yes, UFOs, they're a physical object. And we know this for certain now. Okay. So if you know this for certain now that it's a physical object, then stop calling it a UAP. UAP (laughs) should be entitled for everything else that's going on in the atmosphere. I stand by that 100%. Wormholes, portals, whatever opens up in the atmosphere, fine. It's a phenomenon. But as far as UFOs, they are still an unidentified unidentified flying object. And until proven otherwise, that is what they should be called no matter what. So I say UAP to stay PC with everything across the board. But it does irk me because it doesn't make sense that you're lumping in something to move away from the stigma. But in truth, we're still looking at an object that we cannot identify, period. That's what it is. Call it what it is.
0: (laughs) that's fair enough
1: changing it
0: (laughs) i get it well the thing is that you know uap was actually used back in the 50s a lot so i mean there are many i use both and it depends on who i'm talking to the situation the case the year that i'm you know referring to so yes if i was to and this is again just my opinion i would ditch both because for the reasons (laughs) you explained about uap i agree but also a UFO, if it is, you know, uh, an anti-gravity electromagnetic thing, then it's not actually flying because it's not true. using. You that's know, so. true.
1: <laughs> that's true. It should just be an unidentified object.
0: Yeah. Because you can't cool. really I'm, I'm, identify I'm, I'm, it. Yeah. So I'm so down with that. <laughs> it's
1: a UP. It's an UP. So we'll just start calling yeah. it an UP, Vinny. That'll be our thing. I'll just be like, hey, did you see the UP yesterday? I did. I like
0: that. <laughs> yeah no stigma it's a a new thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll start and see if it sticks in the ufology community we'll see if it sticks (laughs) let's do
0: it let's do it well listen Britt thank you so much for joining me today I really do appreciate it um I just want to say to everybody that's watching live listening in the future uh go and follow Britt on all her social medias she's always active and you know really interesting posts (laughs) yeah no I, I honestly that's how we connected on instagram and you know you're posting so consistently um and i really do appreciate all the work that you do as well like i have so much respect thank for you. boots on the ground investigations i've done it i've got a bug for it i cannot wait to get back out and investigate a new case so yeah, yeah no it's it's great so thank you so much i really appreciate you being here
1: Absolutely. I it was a pleasure coming on. When you asked if if I could come on the show, it was a real honor. I follow your show. I followed your guests, you know, and of course Don, I think was a guest on your show as well. And so I I have followed it and I just, you know, when you asked, I was like, "Of course. Absolutely I'll come on the show because it's really hard to find somebody that kind of um, sees eye to eye with you on a lot of the, the theories and, and ideas and the fact that we we do align quite a bit. It, it's always nice because, you know, when you have a conversation, there's going to be really good questions coming out. And, and uh, I was excited. I love it. So and my my Instagram page is kind of um, I just feel that we need to have a little fun in the field and it shouldn't always be so serious. So I do have a lot of reels that are more on the humorous side of trying to bring people in to find it more interesting but I do try and stay as active as possible and try and be in touch with everybody that reaches out
0: awesome it does it stands out and and so that's great you know if we can always draw in new people then it's only a good thing so yeah I really appreciate that as well uh just want to give a massive shout out to everyone in the live chat for keeping it cordial as always I really appreciate you guys uh being here as well And anybody listening or watching in the future thank you so much um for now guys we're going to say goodbye i am going to be back just over a week's time i'm going to be hosting a panel discussion with ryan robbins aka ufo jesus james ian doley and danny silver so look out for that but for now everyone take care have a good day and we'll see you soon bye-bye
1: goodbye